Welcome to the podcast of ideas. I'm Rob Lyons. This week we're talking about a strand of debates at the Battle of Ideas this year on the subject of the battle over life and death. And joining me to discuss that is the strand producer, Sandy Starr. Morning, Sandy. Hello. So tell us a little bit about this uh, strand. It's this year's Science and Medicine Strand. It's looking at biomedical controversies. It covers everything literally from life to death. It opens with the question, what is a good life, can science and medicine tell us? It closes with the question, what is a good death, can science and medicine tell us? And, and between that are sessions on can big data save the world, eugenics, myth and reality, and the NHS still worth defending. But the eugenic session is the centrepiece. Uh, so let's discuss eugenics because obviously it's a word that immediately kind of provokes a reflex response from many people. Where did this word come from? What's it, the history of this word? It's a word coined by um, Francis Galton, who was a cousin of Charles Darwin. And in addition to being a believer in eugenics, the idea that certain biologically inherited qualities or supposedly biologically inherited qualities traditionally associated with race, that the existence of those qualities should be promoted in the population and that undesirable qualities, their existence should be demoted in the population. He believed in that idea, but he was also a pioneer of the field that subsequently became what we know as genetics. Ironically, he contributed to the discrediting of eugenics because by founding genetics, he ended up contributing to the discovery that there's no natural scientific basis for the concept of race. So how did this idea then develop? Because I know that in sort of the turn of the 20th century, the idea of there being sort of inherited characteristics being very important and you know, race being a very, very central idea. So, so did this become widely accepted as, a, as an idea? Indeed. Um, it wasn't fringe science by any means. Eugenics was very respectable and central to science, and eugenic thinking was really quite respectable. It became thoroughly discredited following the eugenic policies and practices of the Nazis during the Second World War, but even then uh, it persisted afterwards. Can you explain a little bit more about those, what they did to the Nazis, or what, was, what specifically you know, led to this discrediting? Well, so they were obviously, uh, they took to its appalling conclusion the idea that there are desirable qualities associated with race that are biologically inherited, whose existence... Uh, should be promoted in the population um, and the converse by categorising certain proportion of the population as racially inferior and persecuting and exterminating them. Where do we start to see modern genetics start? I guess with Watson and Crick in 53 or a bit earlier than that? Well, Watson and Crick discovered the structure of the DNA molecule and quite shortly afterwards we discovered that that molecule was the mechanism through which things were inherited. But the idea of the gene, of a unit of inheritance, um, is actually almost a century older. So we had the idea of a gene before we had a molecule to attach it to. And eugenics and Francis Galton's interest in eugenics was really part of that earlier discussion. Oh, right. So where has modern genetics taken us now? And, and, and why now the sort of comparisons with eugenics? Well, genetics has taken us quite far away from the notion that there's a natural scientific basis for the concept of race. But eugenics remains a contested term and it remains a frequently invoked term. I mean, there's two reasons I wanted to organise this debate at the Battle of Ideas. The first is that eugenics is often used to criticise new developments in human genetics and reproductive technology. Um, and the response to that from defender of those developments, there's, there's three standard responses. No, this isn't eugenics. You know, you're, it falls outside the definition. Yes, it could be described as eugenics, but there's different types of eugenics. This type of eugenics over here is bad. This type of eugenics over here isn't necessarily bad. And some say, well, eugenics is a, is a historically specific term. It no longer, it's no longer meaningful or legitimate to use it. And often you get stuck at that point. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. And that's happened at the Battle of Ideas before. So I wanted to do a session specifically on eugenics to grasp that nettle. But the other thing is we're living in very exciting and interesting times um, in terms of, the, you know, up until now, medicine, the purpose of intervention in our biology for the, for the purposes of health, 
health um, has largely only affected our soma, which means the part of our biology that can't be inherited by any children we go on to conceive. But there are various approaches that could potentially affect our germline, that part of our biology which is inherited by subsequent generations, which are really the focus of a lot of debate at the moment. And the critics of those developments often invoke eugenics, and I wanted to grapple with those as well. All right, so let let me do two things now. First of all, tell me a little bit more about the methods and the techniques that are, are coming into being now and what they can do. Secondly, we should probably discuss the philosophy of it and whether whether it, you know this is a, the correct thing to do so first of all on the techniques what, what what's happening now in modern genetics uh, to do it br- briefly as i can there's two very different approaches um that are being discussed in the context of uh, alteration to the germline um one is mitochondrial donation that's new ivf techniques where a child is conceived with some genetic material donated by a third person and that's specifically for the purpose of avoiding the transmission of debilitating mitochondrial disease that affects the germline because any child conceived with that third person's genetic material will go on to transmit it to subsequent generations So you avoid mitochondrial disease, not just manifesting in a child, but in subsequent generations as well. And earlier this year, uh, the UK became the first country to legislate uh, for the use of mitochondrial donation in treatment. And indeed, it will become legal when that law comes into force less than two weeks after the Battle of Ideas Festival. Very timely. That's mitochondrial donation. The other very different approach um, is genome editing, which has been around for a while but a new technique for doing it that emerged about three years ago called CRISPR-Cas9 is so straightforward and cheap and efficient compared with previous techniques that it's having a huge impact on biomedical research. It's a long way off being sufficiently advanced to u- even consider using it in treatment, but it's already being used in human embryo research. It's been done in China earlier this year, and we've just learned that an application has been made to the Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority to do human embryo research with CRISPR in the UK. Um, and so that's pr- those developments have prompted a lot of international debate and discussion. You've probably seen headlines in recent weeks. And um, so... How do we feel about it, I guess, really? I mean, there's, there's, I'm sure for some people have a kind of yuck factor about, you know, we shouldn't interfere this closely with nature or that evil authoritarian regimes will start using this in some kind of Nazi way to produce a super race or whatever. But, you know, more practically, how do, how do we feel about this? Is this a positive development? On balance, I say yes. It's important. It's quite important to be clear about it because a lot of things get jumbled together. You know, genome editing has potential applications on our somatic cells which have nothing to do with the germline, those should be pursued. I think um, genome editing in the context of embryo research, which is legal in this country, can quite legitimately be pursued. The question of whether it should be used in treatment, if and when it becomes safe and desirable to do so, or when, when we decide that's the case, I think that's a door we should leave open. But it's early days. Right, okay. But what kind of things might be open to this kind of treatment? Well, unlike mitochondrial donation, uh, which is specifically for the avoidance of a certain kind of uh, inherited mitochondrial disease, you could potentially use genome editing to remove or insert or, or modify anything in our genome that has an effect. So all manner of diseases could be under consideration, even ones so complex that they can't currently be avoided using methods like pre-implantation genetic diagnosis could potentially conceivably be amenable to treatment or intervention using genome editing. But that's still a long way off. It is still a long way off. So that all sounds like a nice scene setter for the the debate. So who's speaking? A really great panel of speakers. First up, we've got Dr. Ellie Lee, director of the Centre for Parenting Culture Studies, who has a really strong interest in and knowledge of the way people try to shape the next generation, whether that's how they raise their kids or whether it's the application of science and medicine to produce certain outcomes. She's going to take a historical look 
at the rise of eugenics and related schools of thought such as social Darwinism in the 19th century and consider whether and how those schools of thought relate to the present day. She'll be followed by Dr Leslie Hall, who's a Wellcome Library Research Fellow, who'll take a more focused look at the history of eugenics, particularly in Britain. And she's the person who catalogued the archives of the British Eugenics Society for the Wellcome Library. And she's also one of the authors of the Oxford Handbook of the History of Eugenics. So she really knows whereof she speaks. Uh, then we'll move to the present-day science and medicine, Ganesh Taylor. She's a stem cell researcher at the University of Oxford. She has a real gift for lay-accessible explanations of complex biology. And she'll talk about the approaches I've just been discussing. And she has a strong personal interest in how people understand and relate to their germline and how this might change in future. And then finally, we've got uh, Dr Chris Gingell, who's a researcher doing European Union-funded research into the ethics of this whole area, and he was on the steering committee of the Hingston Group, the International Consortium of Researchers, who recently issued a consensus statement on genome editing, and in a nutshell they said don't ban it in human embryo research because it's really useful, and at least leave the door open to using it in treatment in future if and when we decide it's safe and ethical uh, and desirable to do so. So that's the speaker lineup. They're discussing eugenics, myth and reality at the Battle of Ideas at 2pm on Saturday the 17th of October. Do come along and I just add, if you want to explore this whole area even further, uh, the Progress Educational Trust where I work is organising a public conference on mitochondrial donation and genome editing on Wednesday the 9th of December and details of that can be found online at www.progress.org.uk. That was very comprehensive. Sansi Star, thank you very much for coming in. If you want to find out about how to buy tickets for the Battle of Ideas and look at all the other events and debates that are going on, do visit the website at battleofideas.org.uk. And if you enjoyed this podcast and want to subscribe to them or find out more about them, go to instituteofideas.com forward slash podcast. Thank you very much, Sandy. Mm-hmm.